You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Today, I hope that you have your Bibles. If you do, let's go to Acts chapter 17. Today's the final sermon in this series that we've called Detox. And so uh, my prayer today is that over the last few weeks, as we've looked at several of these issues that we're detoxing from, we've had the 21-day devotion, we've fasted, we've had Wednesday morning prayer services. We, we really believe that God is doing some things in your heart. He's doing some things in your life. And uh, today I want to close with giving each of you the opportunity to respond and uh, put your faith in Jesus today. Uh, I believe that there are some people in the room that have never done that. And uh, today you're going to have the opportunity to do that as well as uh, follow Jesus in baptism today. Uh, We have the water ready. We've got towels and clothes and hair dryers and whatever else you think you might need. Uh, We're going to have for you to be able to respond today at the conclusion of this service to say yes to Jesus. Or maybe maybe you've already put your faith in Christ and and you've just never been baptized. And and today we want to give you that opportunity opportunity. And uh, we've, we've done this before, and, and uh, we, we always see God's hand uh, uh, in, working in various ways in your life. And so, um, and I'm excited about what God is going to do in this room. Let, let me begin with a word of prayer as we get going today. Father, I pray that you would allow our heart and our mind to be receptive to your truth and your spirit this morning. I pray that you would limit the distractions in this room, that we would be able to focus upon you and focus upon uh, your heart and what you are trying to teach us today. For, for those in the room that don't know you, I pray that they would come to an understanding of your grace and your love today. For those that have never stepped forward and, and been baptized, Lord, I pray that they would take that step of faith today as well. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, how many of you guys have ever heard of a man named Ron Wayne? Anybody know Ron? Nobody? Ron uh, works at a stamp shop out in Nevada. Yeah, probably, probably don't know him, but what's significant about good old Ron is that he was actually one of the co-founders of Apple. Yeah, like all the Apple products that you enjoy today, uh, Ron was there from the very beginning. He actually wrote the, the, the technological manual for Apple. He actually, in 1976, created the logo that you so love and put on your water bottles and whatever else, your folder, whatever else you do with that. Put it on the back of your car. Uh, Ron was there. He, he was there from the very beginning, but... He was a little intimidated by a man named Steve Jobs. He was a little uh, wild and had some big dreams and was a little frivolous with his money. And so he got nervous and scared. And so he sold his 10% uh, of stock that he had in the business back then. And and he sold it for a whopping $800. (laughs) Now, had he kept that 10%, today it would be worth almost $80 billion dollars. $80 billion. He was almost a billionaire, right? I mean, can you imagine how how upsetting it would be if you were so close to something so big like that and and you missed it and, and, and you missed the benefits and you missed the journey and you missed all the blessings from it? Chances are you probably have a story where you've missed something from time to time, but I think the reality is there's a lot of people in the room that are actually doing this with their faith. They're so close to making a decision to to trust Christ. They're they're so close to making a difference in their marriage and at work and in their their personal lives, but but they've not truly 
gone the distance. They've, they've not crossed that threshold and truly put their faith in Christ. They've not experienced his transforming power. The reality is you've probably said yes to religion, but you haven't said yes to a relationship with Jesus yet. Perhaps it started back when you were a kid. As a kid, your mom and dad made you go to church, and so, you know, you woke up, you came to church, and you sat in the service, and they, you stood up when they told you to stand up. You sat down when they told you to sit down, and sing when they told you to sing, and, and uh, for you, it was about uh, a religious kind of uh, task on your to-do list. You came to church, and you saw a bunch of boring people who uh, looked more like they were at a funeral than, than at a celebration of life and, and celebrating Jesus, and and so for you, religion just became really dry and it became really boring, just something that you had to do and you had to endure. As you grew up, you discovered that, you know, you could find some friends and your friends really added some, some spice to life, right? You found a sense of community with them and you, you found some enjoyment and some fun with them. And if things got too boring, then you always found a movie or some form of entertainment to keep you busy and to, and to bring some life into your life. And, and eventually as you uh, continue, maybe you found sports. And so sports kind of gave you that competition, that adrenaline rush and that sense of camaraderie with, with other people. And, and so it kind of gave you meaning. And, and what you discovered, though, is as you grew up, that, that maybe sports are gone and maybe friendships are, are not what they used to be. And, and you find yourself still kind of longing for something. In fact, you're here today at church and you're like, man, I don't even really know why I'm here. I didn't like church when I was young and, and I just kind of feel like my kids need to be in church. So maybe that's why you're here. That's kind of the motivation for you. And, and at the end of the day, I mean, You've embraced religion, but you've not embraced the relationship with Jesus. I would say that you are almost a Christian. You're almost a Christian. Like you, you're not all the way there yet. You know a bunch of language. You, you know how to you know, act like a Christian. You know how to get along in this world. Uh, you, you know how to interact in this culture, especially in the Southern culture, by being a nice guy, a good old boy. But at the end of the day, you're just an almost Christian. You've never really given your life to Jesus. You've never truly surrendered your life to him. Now, the problem with this almost Christianity mentality is that it leads to a very toxic way of life. It leads to a very toxic religion in your life. It leads to you becoming self-righteous and pious and, you know, holding your head and your nose up at other people. It leads you to look at other people and say, they don't think like us, they don't act like us, and so we condemn them. It leads to this idea that I have to live by a certain set of rules. I have to talk this way, I have to act this way, but it's not out of a sense of love and devotion to God. It's out of a sense that I have to do this or I'm gonna get in trouble, essentially. Like, I, I have to be nice to my customers because they, they may not come back, you know? I have to be nice to people at church because I have a reputation to keep up. I gotta get my kids in church because I want them to be well-rounded. It's not because I want them to love Jesus, it's just because I know, just like sports and music, it helps them become a well-rounded person and, and, and be a good person in society. The problem is, that is not Christianity. The problem is that is not what a follower of Jesus looks like. That's not how he acts. That's not his mentality. That's not his heart. And that's definitely not where his devotion lies. So if you are here today and you have been impacted by an almost Christian, a very toxic, pious, 
self-righteous, judgmental, critical Christian or so-called Christian in your life, I wanna apologize and say on behalf of all the almost Christians in the world and on behalf of all the judgmental, hypocritical Christians in the world that you have experienced, and it's not my place to do this really, but I just want you to know, like, like we apologize that you went through that, but you have to understand this. Despite what you've seen, despite what you've experienced, there is a God. And he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life on this planet so that he could provide a way of salvation, a way for you and I to have our sins forgiven, that we could have the hope of heaven, and that we could have a relationship with God. Jesus did not come to create a religion. Jesus did not come to create a certain set of rules for you and I to follow. He came so that you and I would have a life to set us free from the bondage of sin and embrace his life, following him, committing to him, and thereby honoring and worshiping our creator. And so my fear is that we live in a culture where it's acceptable to be a Christian. It's acceptable to be religious. But there are so many people that attend church who are just living a lifestyle of Christianity in the sense that they can think from a Christian worldview, from a Christian perspective, but yet it hasn't touched their desires. It hasn't touched their heart. It hasn't changed their life. And so that's why so many married couples in the room are struggling today. That's why there are so many financially you know, bad decisions that are made because we live for our kingdom and what we want and we haven't yet died to ourselves and embraced the truth of the gospel. And so today I hope that some of the folks in the room will realize that they in fact have embraced a form of religion but they haven't yet embraced a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul talks about the almost Christians. He warns us about these Christians that, that, that call themselves Christians, that, that live and breathe inside the church. And he says this in 2 Timothy 3, 5. He warns and he says that they, that they have a, an appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. You see, you have the appearance of godliness because you're in church. You're dressed in a certain way. You've dressed your kids a certain way. You know, you tell people that you're a Christian. So you have this appearance that you are godly. And yet when you go home, you treat your spouse like crap. You go to work and you lie and cheat and steal. You call yourself a follower of Jesus, but there is little to no evidence that you are actually in a relationship with him. My fear is that you have have fooled yourself. The enemy has blinded you and fooled yourself into thinking that if you do X, Y, and Z, talk this way, look this way, and go to these places, that you'll be okay and you'll go to heaven. That God has to just let you in because you're a good old boy. You're a good guy. But the reality is good people don't go to heaven. People who have their faith in Christ experience heaven because they're on a journey with their Savior. I want us to look at Acts chapter 17 today because Paul encounters some very religious people just like we encounter every single day. Every single day we're in this culture and in this environment where, where you know, it's, it's okay to believe in God. Even millennials, even the, the younger generation today, surveys and, and statistics are showing that, that kids who are 18 and younger 
um, they, they think that religion is okay. They just don't think it's very important. Why do they think that? Mostly because that's the form of religion that their parents are teaching them. It, it, it's okay to believe in God. That's great. It's okay to go to church. It kind of gives some warm fuzzies. But at the end of the day, it's not necessary for life. God is not necessary for your personal life. And these are the kind of people that Paul is embracing and, and, and experiencing in this passage. I want to start in verse 22. It says, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Aragopagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. There it is. Circle that. Very religious. He's around very religious people. Verse 23. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So he's going through this Greek city, very, very large city, very, very progressive type thinkers in this town, in the city. And, and as he walks through this hallway, this Aragopagus, there are lined up all of these images, all of these idols that, that, that people have created from their imagination, like, like different images of the sun God, the, you know, this God, the moon God, that God. And, 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 and they line it up and they worship these idols and these gods. And they get to the end of their list and they think, man, what if we have forgotten one of the gods? We don't want to tick off a god, right? So let's make one more idol. Let's make one more image. And then we'll title him the unknown god because we don't know him. But we definitely don't want to offend him because he might get mad at us. And so they put one more down and they label it to an unknown god. And Paul says, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. God does not live in this building. He doesn't live in any temple. He doesn't live in any church. He's not bound by walls. God is everywhere present, everywhere. He says he doesn't live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. In other words, God doesn't want you to follow Jesus today so that he can get your money, so that he can get your whatever that you think he's after. Like God doesn't need you to accept Jesus to make himself feel good about himself. He doesn't need you to respond to him today to validate his existence. He doesn't need you to step into this room each week and pretend to be a Christian He doesn't need anything from me. He definitely doesn't need anything from us since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and, oh, by the way, everything. Let me just cover everything. Like everything that you have today was given to you by God. The job that you have, the ability to go to that job was given to you by God. The money and the income that you make was given to you by God. Where you live was given to you as a gift from God. Everything about your life was a gift from him. Verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. In other words, God said, I want you to live in 2017, wherever you live today, here in East Tennessee, he set that dwelling place for you and I. Verse 27, that they should seek God, and perhaps this is interesting, feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him, I love this, we live and move and have our being. How many of you could honestly say that you are living and moving and having your being in this relationship with Jesus? As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. 
being then God's offspring, we ought not to think of the divine being like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. He says, look, God is not like controlled. He's not created in any image. Like you, you can't in your imagination comprehend what he looks like or, or, or fashion him in such a way. These idols essentially are not God. Verse 30, the times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to what? To go to church, to speak a certain way. No, commands everyone, everywhere, all people to repent because he's fixed a day. Why would we need to repent? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world and righteousness by a man. This man is Jesus, by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Let me walk us through this passage for a moment. The first thing I want to say is that everyone is a worshiper today. You and I, we all have this desire. It's the desire of the human heart, the human soul to worship. Every single one of you walk in here today worshiping someone, worshiping something. Worship is not something Christians do. It's not something religious people do. It's not something we just do on Sunday morning. Worship is any time every single person on this planet gives their heart, their value, when they run after something that matters to them. When they say, yes, I value that, and so I'm gonna give my time to that. I'm gonna give money towards that. I'm gonna give my heart, my focus, my attention. That's where I find my treasure. You see, inside of our soul, our heart, is this desire to worship, because that's how God created us. He created each one of us to worship him. And so along this journey of finding God, as it says here in verse 27, seeking him and feeling our way towards him, we come across idols in our life. Just like when you were a kid and church was boring and empty and you found friends to cling to or a boyfriend or or a girlfriend to cling to, you found an idol. You found a sport and it gave you that hope and that meaning and that purpose And we cling to those idols and we worship essentially those idols, just like these very religious men and women in Athens. So the idea for us is that we want to understand who or what we're worshiping today because it is the desire of your heart and my heart to find something that is valuable and to give our life towards it. And this idol, it could be, you know, religion, This idol could be your kids. This idol could be success or money. Whatever it is, anytime we are giving our focus and priority to something other than Jesus, it's idolatry. We have an idol in our life. And here's the problem with the almost Christian. As they transition into a very judgmental, critical, pious, hypocritical, almost Christian, they begin to idolize religion. And they idolize the church. That's why they attend. That's why they might even serve. That's why they call themselves a Christian. Many people, they'll call themselves a Christian, but say, I don't need a church. Why is that? We're idolizing religion. We're idolizing this idea that there is a certain set of rules that if I follow, then God's cool with me. See, the idea is that for you is that religion might be about rules 
to get God on your team. For a lot of people, and, and definitely for the almost Christian, religion is about just getting God on my team. I've got to follow rules to, to get him on my team. And if you think about it, every major religion has this list of rules. Live this way, act this way, and then maybe God will let you go to heaven. There's no, there's no religion that says 100% if you do these things that you're going to go to heaven except for Christianity. Like there's a 100% guarantee, he says, when you are, have, have placed your faith in Christ, we can know. John says, I have written these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. But if you're playing the religion game and you've got this rule and you've got that rule, but you've missed the heart devotion to this God, you've missed the whole point. Toxic religious people focus on external things. That's their, that's their focus. Their focus is on what they, what they say. It's focused on what they wear. It's focused on their, the, the, the image that they are giving to people. So that your marriage could be going down the toilets today, but, but you're acting as if everything is, is perfect. See, the reality is when we come to Jesus, we're developing a relationship with him. We're, we're not just coming to him to, to follow rules. Like he, he didn't come to give, even create religion. He didn't come to create a set of rules. He came to, de, to develop a relationship with you, to, to set you free from sin and from bondage and to give you life to the fullest. He didn't come to create a bunch of rules for us, to endure, to drag out in our life. When we make things about external things, we forget that Jesus is all about our heart. And if you're focused on your heart, then the, the, the outer things begin to take place. But if your focus is on the external, then your energy and your heart is all about perception and how people view us and how people think about us. And, and it's a very self-motivated type of life, right? I mean, think about it. We don't, we, we don't you know, do good because we love Jesus, we do good because we know it will affect our business or it will affect our reputation. So it's a very self-centered love. It's not a true worship of God and devotion to God. We do this all the time in religion. We do this all the time as parents. We do things because we think our kids are gonna like it, uh, but in fact, they don't like it and it kind of backfires on you. Uh, I've done that several times. That just recently I told um, my wife I wanted to go out and hang out with my son and spend the day with him. And, and uh, a little something about me and my wife, we love to go to the new trendy restaurant. So we, we love to go to like big cities and find the organic, fresh, kind of cool, modern restaurant and, and just, you know, spend money on, you know, a little portion of food. I don't know why we just like that. Presentation is, is everything, right? So when, when I came to like hanging out with my son that day, I was like, all right, so we're gonna, I'm gonna take him to get his haircut. We're gonna go eat. And then we're gonna, we're gonna go play some ball together. So uh, I thought, man, I just heard about this cool, organic, trendy restaurant in Knoxville. It's a little cafe and, and it, it advertises itself as a farm fresh, straight from the farm, organic place. And I'm like, sign me up for that, man. I want some of that. And so I was like, all right, we're getting a haircut. And then we go to this little cafe and we pull into the parking lot. My, my son, he's 12 years old, right? So we pull into the parking lot. He sees the sign, he sees this cool place. And I'm thinking, oh man, this is gonna be so sweet. I'm hungry, it's gonna be awesome. He takes one look at it. One look at it, and he says, Dad, I hate this place. <laughs> so what do you mean you hate this place? You haven't even been inside. You don't even know what's on the menu, man. What are you talking about? I hate this place. I'm never going to this place. I hate it. I don't want to be here. So we spent about 10 minutes. I'm trying to convince him to go in. And, and so finally I just said, all right, you just kind of pray about it. I'm going in. I'm going to eat. So... <laughs> 
So after a few minutes, he realized that I was serious about it, and he came in, and, uh, you know, we, we, we but what, what I tell that story because how often did we do that as parents? Like, we want to do what we want to do, and then we drag our kids along and say, why aren't you enjoying this? Come on, man. Quit being so selfish, you know? Quit being a brat. <laughs> Spoiled. Back in my day, we went to a restaurant. We liked it, right? We ate it. You know, we do the same thing with our faith. God, I'm here today. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. The sermon was extra long today and extra boring. So I guess that earned me a few extra points with you today. Just doing that for you, God, right? I sang the chorus of the song I actually sang today. God, you're welcome. I don't normally do it, but I did today. You're welcome. You know, I know. I didn't say anything negative about church today. I went with my wife. We went. We left. I didn't say anything negative. You're welcome, Lord. You know, I got my kids up. Again, we were on time. Hallelujah, right? We got here on time. It was a, it was a, new, it was a 2017 miracle that we're on time. You're welcome, Jesus. We did that for you, right? As if we're doing God a favor by being here. As if we're doing God a favor by bringing our kids on Wednesday nights or or, or, or doing our kids a favor by... Now listen, all these things are wonderful things if your heart is in the right place. It's a waste of time if, if your heart is not in the right place. If you're just trying to get your kids to be well-rounded, if you're just trying to earn points today with God, it's not helping you out. You've got a form of godliness, but you've got no power because your heart is far from God. Your, your, your heart is stone cold. Now, my son ate a sandwich that day, and in his words, he said it was the greatest sandwich in the history of his life, right? So it ended up good for me, right? But, but I don't want us to pretend like all of these religious acts and these religious like, experiences, I'm, I'm serving in a ministry, you're welcome, Jesus. <laughs> if that's our attitude, we're missing what the Bible teaches. And I don't want us to be an almost Christian I want us to be what John Wesley calls an altogether Christian, someone who truly is worshiping and, and making a priority out of their relationship with the Lord. I think a lot of us come to God with this mentality that he's our butler. You ever thought about this? Like God is, is dressed up in his little tux and his suit. And he's got this silver platter and whatever you need, whatever you want, like here he comes, right? He's ready to give you whatever you need. We see it in movies all the time. And, and if you'd be honest, you probably prayed this prayer too. You don't have to admit it today, but you've said something to this effect. God, if you're real, man, I need you to show up here. I need you to show me a sign, right? I need you to show me a sign. I, 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 I made a bad financial decision. God, I need money. Right? Could you offer up that new promotion? I need this. I got four kids that need to go to college. Hello? I need this. I've gotten myself in debt. I've gotten this. God, I need you. And if he doesn't provide that resource for you, it's kind of like, didn't work again. He's not there. He doesn't care about me. I've tried the God thing. Doesn't work. Perhaps it's your spouse. So you're, you, you've come and, and you've said, you know what? Yeah, thanks a lot for this wife, right? Thanks a lot for this dude, you know, you let me go out with, God. You got to change him. You got to change her. Come on. I'm ringing the bell. Why aren't you changing him? He doesn't, and so you just, he's not listening. He doesn't care. He's not there. 
Maybe it's just simply happiness for you, and it's just like, I'm I'm miserable, and nothing in my life goes well, and I've got all this stuff, and I I ring the bell, I ask God for this, and he just doesn't make me happy. I'm just not happy. I just can't experience happiness. It's just never going to happen for me. God's just the butler to you to, to ring the bell for, and he runs up, and he's supposed to give you everything as if this life revolves around you. You've been taught somewhere along the way that God has a hope and a plan and a future for you. And somehow you've taken that verse, you've ripped it out of its context and its meaning, and, that, and, and, and to you that means that whatever you do, God is supposed to bless. That God's supposed to give you whatever you need in order to do whatever you think he wants you to do. Or, uh, you, know, you know, It just doesn't work that way. That's not Christianity. That's not a relationship with Jesus. Sometimes there is suffering Sometimes there is difficulty and God puts that into our life for a purpose that you may not understand today. Some of us look at God as our therapist, right? Therapist God is this really warm and fluffy, encouraging God. He tells us how beautiful we are and wonderful we are and you're just so special and you deserve a reward today, you know? This is the inclusive God, right? This is the inclusive God that we just go in and lay down. doesn't matter what sin we're involved in. God just wants to rub our shoulders and pat our little head. And he he just, everybody's going to heaven, don't worry. We love you, encourage you, pat you on the fanny and let you go out and live your life. It's a little mamby-pamby type God that just, you know, gives us a warm, fuzzy feeling. Well, the problem is God's neither your butler nor your therapist. God is a holy and righteous God. And he will judge you according to what you do with his son, Jesus. In fact, I don't know what God is going to say to us when we face him after this life. I don't know how that's going to roll out. But I imagine that the topic is going to be around Jesus. And it's going to be a question, something to this effect. After this life is over for you and you stand before God, he's going to say something to this effect. What did you do with my son, Jesus? What did you do with him? Some of you are going to say, well, I was baptized, man. As as a younger kid, I went, I sat through some pretty terrible sermons. And so, yeah, I was there. And, you know, I I prayed a prayer. I did all the deal. And what did you do with my son, though? Some of you are going to say, well, I talked this way. And I tried to live a good life. And all of those answers reveal that it is your work that you think includes you in heaven. But those are the wrong answers. What What are you doing with God's son, Jesus, today? You see, the reality is religion is, is about rules to get God on your team. But following Jesus is essentially following Jesus and, and, and it's realizing that that is about your identity and it's about your relationship. That's essentially what following Jesus looks like. It's about your identity and it's about relationship, who you are. Some of you are still struggling with who you are today and you found your identity in being a mom or you found your identity in work and, and, and your income. And, and so, so you run to those things and, and you love those things and that essentially is who you are today. But that is in fact not who you are according to the scripture. When we look at this, we, we, we see that in fact, we could possibly be worshiping an idol today as it relates to our identity. Because anytime, anytime you and I follow the, it's almost like breadcrumb trails, you know? So you follow the trail of your time. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your energy? Where where do you spend your money? When you begin to look at your time, your energy, your money, what do you think about? When you begin to really identify what 
what am I spending the most time thinking about? What am I spending the most time doing and spending money on and giving energy to? You're going to follow that trail. And at the, at, at the end of that trail is a throne. And on that throne, you're going to find who it is or what it is that you are idolizing and what you're worshiping today. And it could be your kids. And everything about your kids is, is, is everything to you. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's demanding all of your time, all of your money, all of your energy, and you give all of your effort towards pleasing them. And so your kids are going to sit on the throne of your life. Maybe it's work, and you're going to see that all my attention and energy and money and focus goes to work. So I'm idolizing work, and I'm finding my identity as a fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is you are. Maybe some of you would follow that trail and realize that, oh, I'm sitting on the throne. I'm worshiping me. It's all about me. The reality is when we understand who Jesus is, it means that we are following him. It means that we are in a relationship with him. And so I am running with him. It means I'm committed to being changed by him. I'm committed to to being changed in my attitude and in my actions with him because I want to serve him. I want to embrace him with my life. I want to prioritize him in my life. So there is time. There is money. There is energy. There is priority there because he is who I am worshiping. Here's an easy test for you. You know how to determine who or what it is you worship today? When you suffer, what do you run to? When there's a problem at work, when there's a problem in your marriage, when there's an issue going on to your life, in your life, where, where do you run? You run to alcohol, take the edge off. That's your idol. You run to your mom and that relationship. So you run to her to get whatever. You run to work and just kind of dive into work and go harder and stronger at work to kind of keep your mind off of things at home or whatever. And as long as I can get more, you know, money and I'm making money, then I can spend money. When things are difficult, do you just go to the mall and shop and spend on, you know, spend some money and that makes you feel better? You see, wherever you're running when things are difficult, most of the time is your idol. Most of the time, it's what you're worshiping. I wonder what it would look like for you, like in your struggles, in your suffering, you know, a follower of Christ being, being committed to being changed by him in attitude and action means that we're running to him. We're experiencing him. Some of you are missing that. You've embraced religion. You haven't embraced a relationship with Jesus. That's why, that's why church seems boring. That's why church seems like there's no power. That's why you're not experiencing power. You've got a form of godliness, but there's no power in your life. You see, the scripture says in verse 30 that if we discover that we are worshiping an idol, if we discover that we are in fact not putting Jesus at the throne of our life, if we're an almost Christian, embracing religion and forms of religion, but not embracing Jesus, here's what he says to do. Verse 30, he says the times of ignorance are, over, over, are, are done with, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. You see, that's, that's the issue. We don't like that word in America. We, we like inclusive therapy, God. He, he allows anybody to do whatever they want to do as long as they do it with all their heart. We want that kind of God. It just allows us to live however we want to live without any consequences and without any suffering. But the reality is that he calls us to repent. And that just simply means to turn away from our sin. It means to turn away from our life of sin and to turn to Jesus's way of life. It means that I am asking for forgiveness. It's recognizing that I'm a sinner. It's recognizing that I've messed up. 
It's recognizing that because of my sin, I am an enemy of God. I am not going to heaven simply because I am a good person. No one here can live a good enough life to experience salvation or heaven. It is only through what Jesus has done on the cross. He says to repent. He says to turn from your idols. And and he says it's important to do this because judgment is coming. Verse 31, because he, God, has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. This man is Jesus. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. In other words, Paul says, you can have assurance that this is the way that we experience a relationship with God in heaven because God sent a man, his name is Jesus. God God appointed him. He died, but oh, praise the Lord. He rose gloriously from the grave. You see, some of you in the room need to turn from your sin, your, your way of, of religion, your, your life of, of sin, and, and turn to Jesus today. Because there is a reality that, that everything that we are doing here today will one day hold us accountable. The Bible talks about this in Revelation chapter 20. God calls it the great white throne judgment. And he says that there, there's a group of people who uh, he refers to as dead. Essentially, they have no faith in Christ and, and they're gonna be judged according to their deeds. It says this in verse 12. He says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. In the books, plural, important, the books were opened. Then another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, plural, according to what they had done. So at this great white throne judgment, those who do not have faith in Christ are judged according to what's written in those books. Everything that we've done, good, bad, everything is written written in those books and we are judged according to what is written in them. And then there's another book, it's the book of life. We wanna be in the book of life, FYI. This is the book where every person who has faith in Christ, his or her name is written in that book. Now, those who are judged according to what they have done essentially are sent to eternal punishment. It's a place that we know and you've heard called hell. Hell is simply a place where you go to pay for your own sins. It's essentially what it is. It's a terrible place. Those written in the books, plural, judged by that, then sent to hell to pay for their own sins. Those whose name is in the book of life are sent to heaven based upon not what they did, because they're not judged on what they did. They go to heaven based upon what Jesus did. And what Jesus did is he lived a perfect sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins, but he rose from the grave. He's taking our punishment So it's what he did on the cross that allows my name to be in the book. And it's not something that Butler God can give to me or or therapy God can give to me. It's simply the grace of God through the gift of, of, of Jesus Christ dying on the cross that he gives me this faith to believe and to trust in him. And when I receive that faith, I am turning from my sin and I am turning to Jesus. I believe there are some people in the room today that have embraced religion, but they've never embraced a relationship. 
I believe you're far from God today. And it makes sense to you when you hear me talk about it because there's no wonder you're struggling in so many areas. You're not going to Jesus, you're not developing that relationship. And the reality is you've never really given your heart to Christ. You've never really trusted him for salvation. And I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do that today. For some of you, you've maybe made a decision, but, but you're not doing anything about it. Perhaps you've never even been baptized. I mean, in the scripture we see when someone receives Christ, they, they put their faith in him, then they're baptized. And that's the symbol of the old Trent dying as we go under the water. We, we, we are dying. We, we are essentially dying with Christ. And we come up out of the water. Christ was resurrected from the grave. And Trent is given a new birth because of, my, because of the faith that in, in, in Christ. And so it's a symbol. It's basically going public with your faith. And some of you have never done that. I want to encourage you today to respond. I want to encourage you today to make this decision to trust Christ or perhaps to follow him in baptism. Let me give you that opportunity. Would you bow your heads? Let's keep distractions to a minimum here. I just want to, want to talk to you with no one moving around. If you want to accept Christ today, this is an this is a, a way for you to do that. You can say whatever you want to say, but this is kind of a model for you, a model prayer that will help you make this decision. And so you just simply say this to God today. You can say it out loud if you want to, say it in your heart. Just simply say, Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. And today, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for me and rose again so that I could live. Fill me with your spirit so that I can love you and live for you. My life is not my own. I surrender it to you. Thank you for new life. I wonder in this room, as you continue to pray and your heads are bowed, is there anyone in this room that says, Trent, I actually just prayed that prayer and I just gave my life to Christ. Would you just kind of slip up your hand and let me see if there's anybody in here that, that said they did that. Anybody at all? Just slip it up and put it back down. I'm looking, not seeing. Anybody say, I prayed that. I saw one there. Anybody else just prayed? How many of you would say, Trent, the reality for me is I've made that decision, but I've never been baptized made that decision, never been baptized. Maybe you made, you know, you were baptized at six or seven, but later on after college, you accepted Christ and you just kind of have that baptism out of place. And you were baptized before you actually made that commitment to Christ. And so you've realized over time and whatever that you need to be baptized. How many of you would say, just slip up your hand and say, I know that's me. I see one, two, anyone else? Three, four, five, anyone else? Five or six hands, just slip it up and put it back down. I saw several hands there. So here's your day. This is your opportunity to respond. Again, we have everything that you need. We're gonna record, the service is being recorded right now. Your baptism is gonna get recorded. So if you're like, oh, well, Aunt Flossie's not here. She's gonna wanna be here. No, Aunt Flossie can watch it on DVD, right? I can email her. This is the moment, this is the time that I believe God wants you to respond. Let's not take for granted the opportunities that God gives to us today. 
I'm gonna pray, we're gonna stand. James is gonna lead us in a great song. I wanna encourage everyone to pray today and sing and worship God. Let's put him in his rightful place today. And as we stand, as soon as we stand, if you're ready to be baptized, if you prayed that prayer and you're ready to get baptized today, I wanna ask you to come forward Go to my left, your right. Pastor Brandt uh, is over here and some other guys and they're gonna, they're gonna take you and show you some um, where you can get all your stuff. They're gonna pray with you, encourage you, high five you. This is a day that I believe God has brought you here specifically to take that next step of faith on your journey. God, you know those in the room that need to take this step. You know, Lord, who it is that you're dealing with. And so I wanna pray and ask that you would give us boldness now to move you would give us the courage to take this step of faith, to truly embrace you, what you have for us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.